0: Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We are working our way through this book, passage by passage, to hear what the Spirit inspired Paul to tell the Roman church and and to see how the unchanging God who communicated Himself to them communicates Himself to us. And we've seen that the, the message of the book of Romans is that there is a righteousness from God that's received as a gift through faith alone. It's not achieved, but it's received. And the reason that we need righteousness as a gift is that we're affected by sin at every part. Not that we are as bad as we could possibly be, but that every aspect of our life, even our religious practices, are touched by sin. And so nothing becomes righteous before God because it's influenced by that sin that's in us. And Paul tells us the, the answer is that this gracious gift of righteousness it, it solves our problem. It's comprehensive. That righteousness frees us from the guilt and condemnation of sin by forgiveness. That righteousness covers us so that we're acceptable to God. That God is working in us a power to overcome our slavery to sin so we can begin to say no and put sin to death by the power of His Spirit that we become, as a gift, righteous uh, through life. And then we see that He has accepted us into His family, made us sons and daughters, so that while sin would mark us with shame, He has crowned us with the honor of His name and His family, so that we are accepted and no longer outcast and no longer shamed. And so grace is the answer for our sin problem. But then the question arises, well, if grace is the answer, why did Israel seem to have so much trouble? Weren't they a people who knew grace? Didn't God show them much grace? And, and, and why didn't it work? Why is there so much rebellion in the Old Testament? Why, when Paul is preaching to the Romans, are, are not more of the Jews coming to faith while the Gentiles were? Today, we might say the same thing. In the last few weeks, I've read no less than 15 articles that talk about why millennials are leaving the church. That is, as as uh, some of the teenagers and, and those who are getting up to in their 20s are starting to think about the church, they're leaving, according to the statistics, at least in uh, many places of the church. And we would say, well, if, if it's all a grace, why are they leaving? In Romans nine, ten and 11, Paul's answering that question. In chapter 9... He said this is in keeping with the sovereign plan of God as He parts the the veil that uh, keeps us out of heaven and we see into the, the inner workings of how God is doing what He wants and having mercy on whom He has mercy. In chapter 10, He's showing us what it's like from our perspective where we see how Israel rejected God and how we can then learn from them on how to receive the Lord Jesus through faith. As we look to Romans 10 today, we're going to start reading in verse 14. But before we do, let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for you revealing to us a righteousness that comes through faith as a gift that your Son has done for us. That he was righteous on our behalf, that he was condemned on our behalf, and that he has sent his spirit to us so that we might have life and power to turn away from sin. Help us to trust in You, to see that, that, that faith is right here for us, that You give it liberally and graciously and help us turn to the Lord Jesus. We pray that as we look to Your Word, You would fill us to the brim with the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would help us see what Your Scriptures reveal and respond to them well. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 10, verse 14. This is God's Word. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed What he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. (coughs) Excuse me. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask that Israel not understand. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held up my hands to disobedient and contrary people. This is God's word. It's completely true. And it is utterly trustworthy. In Tahiti, uh, I, I learned this week that it was tradition for uh, a young man who was interested in marriage to go to his uh, potential father-in-law in order to ask for permission. And the father-in-law would not give permission unless he also brought with him the tooth of a whale. Now, I'm not a biologist. I don't know how many whales have teeth. And I don't know how hard it is to come by the tooth of a whale, but I imagine that could be challenging. After all, you normally find whales, you know, deep in the water. And my guess is they don't part with their teeth, you know, favorably. Um, So apart from perhaps some kind of black market, uh, it's quite some chore that you must do to prove yourself fit for marriage. And you've got to imagine that that tells this father, all right, he really loves my daughter. It tells this potential bride, he really wants to marry me. Look what he'll go through. In Africa, there's a number of villages that require the prospective groom to go on a solo hunt in the middle of the wilderness parts of, of uh, around the tribe uh, and to come back with the carcass of a predator. And I imagine that also is uh, somewhat daunting. Uh, But still, it proves his commitment. My favorite of them all, though, is also a village in Africa where a young man who wants to get married uh, announces his intentions to the whole village. And the men of the village gather and form a gauntlet That he must walk through, at which case they beat him as he travels through with hands and fists, with sticks, uh, occasionally perhaps other implements. And when he emerges on the other side, they know he meant this. He says, you know, with these testimonies, with these overcome obstacles, the love is real. We, we know stories like that. We love the stories in our books where the, the man overcomes the obstacles and pursues and tracks down this woman and wins her love. Well, that story, all those pictures actually reflect what, what God has done. You know, we read that God is, is the sovereign God who has mercy on whom He has mercy and we get this impression that he's, he, we can get the wrong impression that He's capricious, and he he has favoritism, or that he likes some people but doesn't like others, the picture here, as you read at the very end, is that God is holding out his hands all day long. That His love was real, and I want you to see the obstacles that he overcame to bring that love to Israel, and quite frankly, to bring that love to you. And he starts out by listing a few of those things that have to happen. If you're going to call on the name of the Lord, which he had said in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on Him for help, for salvation, will in fact become saved. They will be made righteous. They'll get the gift of righteousness. Everyone. But he says they can't call on Him, verse 14, if they haven't believed. Well, that makes sense. You're not going to call on someone for help unless you think they can help you. He says, but they won't believe unless they hear. They have to hear of a God who's willing to give grace and righteousness and help in their need. One who's willing to save. And they'll never believe unless they hear that message. And then he says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? They need someone who's going to go and, and declare that message that there is a righteousness that's available. And God will give it so that you would believe. And in believing, call on the Lord. And God says, so I have given you a beautiful gift. How are, uh, He says in, in verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God says, I've sent you the messengers so that you could hear. I've, I've given you the message so that you would know it. Now, Paul here is, is thinking through a great deal of of, of uh, Israel's history. So, so I want you to go on a very brief tour of that history with me. Well, let's begin right when they were starting to form as a nation, as they were being led out of Egypt. They'd been slaves there, and God had broken the, the power of Egypt over them and set them free. And their first stop after crossing the Red Sea was to go to the bottom of Mount Sinai. And there they were told to prepare to meet God. And as they were preparing, and got themselves ready, God Himself came to the mountain and began to preach the first sermon. And you've got to think that's pretty awesome. You imagine, God's a great preacher. But here's what Israel said after they heard God preach. They said, don't make us listen to that again. Moses, you go to God and talk to Him for us. And when He gives you something, you come and tell us. But don't make us listen to it. It was terrifying to hear God preach. And they said... We'd rather hear it through somebody else. And God said, that's the way we will do it. Moses, you will be a prophet for me. You will speak my words. And Moses would come and says, here's what God said. And he would tell them over and over for the rest of his life. Here is what God has said. He gave them this message from God. He was their preacher. In Deuteronomy 18, close to the end of Moses' life, he says, listen, Israel. God is going to raise up from among you prophets like me. They're going to speak God's Word to you and you need to listen to them. And from the day of Moses until almost uh, till the day of Jesus, uh, just a, a couple hundred years before Jesus, there was almost an unbroken string of prophets who spoke the Word of God to Israel. God gave them messengers over and over and over again. He gave them Uh, Deborah in the book of Judges, and Samuel, and they gave them Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and those who received God's Word and spoke it to them so that they could hear, God says, I don't want you to go without this message that would lead you to faith. In fact, God was so prolific to these Jews, it's why the Old Testament is almost three times as long as the New Testament. In Hebrews 1, though, God says this, in many times and in many ways, He has spoken through His prophets, but to these last days, He has spoken by His Son. The chief way that God was going to speak to you was He would come again Himself. He would come in a way you could hear. He would come in a way that He could be touched and heard. You could hug the Word that God had sent. In 1 John, John tells us this this Word, this life, we, we've heard Him, we've seen Him, we've touched Him, and we tell Him to you. In the whole New Testament are those who, who saw the Word of God walking around and said, You have to know Him. God sent the message to you. Now, I need to tell you two fascinating facts about the Word of God. One is how the Old Testament got to you, at least in part. They didn't have Xerox machines, and so the only way to transmit the Old Testament was to hand copy it. And if you've ever tried to hand copy something long, you know you're like, "Oh, I messed that up," and you mark through it. And you, it's easy to make a mistake, but the scribes of the Old Testament were professionals. Their, their goal was to make an exact copy with their hands. And if they made mistakes, they would throw it out and start over. But here is how serious they were about their job. When they got an old manuscript of the Old Testament, some scroll, and it began to show signs of wear. That is, maybe a hole starting to wear in the paper, the ink began to fade. Whatever happened, they would take that scroll and they would bury it, much like they would a a, a person's body after dying. They would take that scroll and they would vary it because they didn't want something that had a little hole in it for someone else to try to copy and go, I'm not sure what that word was, I'll make it up and add a word or just skip it. They wanted the precise copies. So anything that could be mistaken, they would get rid of it. The effect was that we didn't have existing today any copy older than 1100 A.D. Well, those who are ancient scholars consider the distance between the time between the, the the time a document was finished, and when we have the oldest copy to be part of the authenticity. And from the Old Testament, which was completed in about 400 B.C., that was 1,500 years. Say for the Isaiah, written in 700 or so B.C., it was 1,800 years. And the skeptics would say, that's a long time. It's got to have changed. Uh, You remember that game you played as kids? Telephone? Where you would whisper in someone's ear? And then that person would whisper in someone's ear and you would pass it through the whole class. And when it got to the end, it was unrecognizable. The skeptic would say, that's what's happened with your Old Testament. There's no way you can have any confidence that what's written, it's too many years. 1,800 years is too many. You can't trust Isaiah. But all that changed about 70 years ago. 70 years ago, some kids were playing in a little valley in Israel near some caves where an ancient, um, well, before the time of Jesus about a generation before Jesus a community called the Qumran uh, Essenes were there and they had these caves and these boys were playing there and they threw rocks up into the caves and they heard something shatter and it made them interested and somebody climbed up the the hill and went into the cave and they went inside and saw all these pottery vases that had been there for, well, a little more than 2,000 years And they opened them up and they found paper. And among the things they found was an entire, all 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah. And they unrolled it and they began to look at it and examine it. And they compared it to the Isaiah you have today. And keep in mind, this scroll was 1,100 years older than our oldest previous one. So how much changes had happened in our game of telephone over 1,100 years about 16 words and of those 12 or 13 were spelling changes and anything that was changed was insignificant you had a virtually identical copy of Isaiah in 1100 years it wasn't changed and here was the message God wanted you to read his truth and how can someone read it unless they have it to preach it and so he's preserved it for you many opportunities for it to change, and yet God was providentially governing so that you would read His Word. You have the Bible that Jesus read. The New Testament is similar. The New Testament, they, they, they judge by how close you, you, you get to it and how many copies you have. The most att- second most attested book of ancient history is the Iliad. With a little under a 1,000 copies and about uh, 800 years, between the time it was written and the time that we have the most recent or the closest copy, and most scholars consider that pretty well attested. It's uh, that's good news. The New Testament, the the oldest copies are within a hundred years, much better than the Iliad. And instead of about eight or nine hundred copies, we have twenty thousand excerpts from these ancient documents. It's the most well attested document from ancient history by far, because God wanted you to hear His Word. He wanted you to have it in your hands, to be able to hold it, to be able to have someone read it and explain it, for you to hear the message that brings faith. And so, through every obstacle, He has sent the messenger so that you could hear. He tells us in verse 16, Number uh, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. He says this is the only avenue for, to, for, to get to faith. It's the way God has decided to work. He gives faith because you hear His Word. So let me ask you this question. Are you hearing His Word? If, if faith comes through hearing His Word, then I want to... I want to preach well to you and I want to give you something really you can hang on to in your life. I want to give you something that will help you move toward faith because we're understanding God's Word. But this is only about an hour of worship in which we sing and pray and and talk about God's Word. And you have 168 hours a week. This cannot be enough. What you want, if your faith is to be strong and to grow, is to have access to this Word all the time. To make it your constant diet. To read it. To think about it. To talk about it. To make it constantly in your mind as you're hearing it. Because through hearing the, God, the Word of God, you have faith. He says, verse 16, they have not all obeyed the Gospel. Lord, who has believed what they, He has heard from us? In verse 18, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and, to the, and the words to the end of the world. Paul is saying, God didn't just send messengers. He made sure all of Israel heard. The message went to all of Israel. In fact, it's spilling over into the Gentiles. God is sending this message out to every corner of the earth. He made sure that, that Israel heard. He has made sure you have heard. You are here today because God has brought you His Word. That is why you are here. So that you would hear it. So that you could respond to it. This is God overcoming every obstacle. Think about all the things that you might be doing if you were not here. God has overcome every one of those so that you would be here today and hear His Word but it's not enough just to hear it. You have to understand it. Look at verse 19. But I ask that Israel not understand. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. What's Isaiah talking about there? He's saying of Israel, you who've heard it over and over again from prophet after prophet after prophet from reading their words over and over again, I'm going to show you that it's not because you didn't understand it well enough. I'm going to make the fools, the ones without understanding, come in. And so Paul is saying to the Jews, it isn't because they didn't understand it well enough. It's not because they weren't theologically savvy enough. It wasn't because they missed something in what God had revealed. The Gentiles, who knew much less, saw and responded. And so he's he's cutting out any excuse for rebellion. You cannot say, it is because I haven't heard, you have heard. You cannot say because God didn't protect His Word, He's protected it and preserved it for you. You cannot say it's because I didn't understand. He's given you understanding plenty enough. In fact, now, the only reason that you or I can say I'm not going to respond to God's Word is verse 21. Of Israel, He says, all day long I've held out My hands to disobedient and contrary people. Listen, the only way that we could not respond to God's Word in faith, in repentance, in obedience, is because we're contrary. It's because we might be stubborn and obstinate. Because we refuse to listen to the God who has said, I will give you My Word. I will protect it for you. I will send you messengers. I will help you hear it. And I will make you understand. Righteousness comes through faith. And so now, as one of those messengers in a long line of those who have called people to come to Christ, I ask you, respond to God's Word. He says, I'm holding out my hands. It's not hard to come to. It's not a gauntlet you must run. God is not the one who says, go on the great quest, find the whales too. Find the the dangerous predator and bring it to me. God is not the one who says, walk through the beatings and come to me. He says, I will come to you. And He walks through the beatings and He finds the whale's tooth and He slays the dangerous predator and He shows up on your doorstep and says, I am here for you. And when you see what He has overcome, the reason you respond to Him is not because He's got the authority or because He's powerful and you're afraid. You respond to Him because He's shown He loves you. I made sure you could hear. I made sure you would know. I wouldn't stop for any reason. I I ran the gauntlet so that you would be mine today. Will you respond to this Gospel. Will you obey it by bowing your knee and receiving through trusting in Him receive His love. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven we pray that You would give us the grace to respond how awful it would have been for a, a bride in that village to see a man run the gauntlet to endure the pain, to receive the beatings, and for Him to demonstrate His love and for her to turn away from it. And how much greater would it be for us to spurn Your love when You sent Your Son, when He bore our sin, when He went to the cross in our place, when He endured the tomb so that the grave would have no claim on us. His love is demonstrated. He has overcome every obstacle that we might know His love and trust in Him. Would You help us? Have mercy on us that we might enjoy Your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.